Welcome to this episode of Land of the Golden Sunset, the evolution of the Irish from biblical times. This is episode number 10 entitled Oliver Cromwell and his son Henry, and it's about them in Ireland from 1649 to 1653. You can become a patron of these podcasts by visiting www.landofthegoldensunset.podbean.com. I hope you enjoy it. No sooner had the persecuted Irish Catholics time to recover from all the years of brutality waged against them. Then another evil villain arrived in Dublin from England on the 14th of August 1649. His name was Oliver Cromwell. Cromwell led a parliamentary invasion of Ireland from 1649 to 1650. Parliament's key opposition was the military threat posed by the alliance of the Irish Confederate Catholics and English Royalists, signed in 1649. The Confederate Royalist Alliance was judged to be the biggest single threat facing the Commonwealth. However, the political situation in Ireland in 1649 was extremely fractured. There were also separate forces of Irish Catholics who were opposed to the Royalist Alliance and Protestant Royalists' forces that were gradually moving towards Parliament. Cromwell said in a speech to the Army Council on the 23rd of March that I had rather be overthrown by a cavalierish interest than a Scotch interest. I had rather be overthrown by a Scotch interest than an Irish interest. And I think of all, this is the most dangerous. Cromwell's hostility to the Irish was religious as well as political. He was passionately opposed to the Catholic Church which he saw as denying the primacy of the Bible in favour of papal and clerical authority, and which he blamed for suspected tyranny and persecution of Protestants in continental Europe. Cromwell's association of Catholicism with persecution was deepened with the Irish Rebellion of 1641. This rebellion, although intended to be bloodless, was marked by massacres of English and Scotch Protestant settlers by Irish, Old English and Highland Scot Catholics in Ireland. These settlers had settled on land seized from former native Catholic owners to make way for the non-native Protestants. These factors contributed to the brutality of the Cromwell military campaign in Ireland. Parliament had planned to reconquer Ireland since 1641 and had already sent an invasion force here in 1647. Cromwell's invasion of 1649 was much larger and, with the civil war in England over, could be regularly reinforced and resupplied. His nine-month military campaign was brief and effective, though it did not end the war in Ireland. Before his invasion, parliamentarian forces held only outposts in Dublin and Derry, When he departed Ireland, they occupied most of the eastern and northern parts of the country. After his landing in Dublin on the 14th of August 1649, Cromwell took the fortified port towns of Drogheda and Wexford to secure logistical supply from England. 
At the siege of Drogheda in September 1649, Cromwell's troops killed nearly 3,500 people after the town's capture, comprising around 2,700 royalist soldiers and all the men in the town carrying arms, including some civilians, prisoners and Roman Catholic priests. At the siege of Wexford in October, another massacre took place under confused circumstances. While Cromwell was apparently trying to negotiate surrender terms, some of his soldiers broke into the town, killed 2,000 Irish troops and up to 1,500 civilians, and burned much of the town. After the taking of Drogheda, Cromwell sent a column north to Ulster to secure the north of the country, and went on to besiege Waterford, Kilkenny and Clonmel. Kilkenny surrendered on terms, as did many other towns like New Ross and Carlow, but Cromwell failed to take Waterford, and, at the siege of Clonmel in May 1650, he lost up to 2,000 men in abortive assaults before the town surrendered. One of his major victories in Ireland was diplomatic rather than military. With the help of Roger Boyle, 1st Earl of Orrery, Cromwell persuaded the Protestant Royalist troops in Cork to change sides and fight with the Parliament. At this point, word reached Cromwell that Charles II, son of Charles I, had landed in Scotland from exile in France and had been proclaimed king by the Covenanter regime. Cromwell therefore returned to England from Yall on the 26th of May 1650 in order to counter this threat. Cromwell had set out on a campaign of killings, brutality and butchery, unparalleled in any country before or since. It is for this, and for the ruthless slaughter of inoffensive women and children, that he is justly regarded as a brutal tyrant. Cromwell was one of the signatories of King Charles I's death warrant in 1649, and he dominated the short-lived Commonwealth of England as a member of the Rump Parliament, 1649-1653. Cromwell's forces defeated the Confederate and Royalist coalition in Ireland and occupied the country, bringing to an end the Irish Confederate Wars. During this period, a series of penal laws were passed against Roman Catholics, and a substantial amount of their land was confiscated. On the 20th of April 1653, he dismissed the Rump Parliament by force, setting up a short-lived nominated assembly known as Barebones Parliament, before being invited by his fellow leaders to rule as Lord Protector of England, which included at the time Wales, Scotland and Ireland, from 1653. As a ruler, he executed an aggressive and effective foreign policy. He died from natural causes in 1658 and was buried in Westminster Abbey. The Royalists returned to power along with King Charles II in 1660, and they had his corpse dug up, hung in chains and beheaded. Oliver Cromwell is one of the most controversial figures in the history of the British Isles, considered a regicidal dictator by historians such as David Sharp, a military dictator by Winston Churchill, and a hero of liberty by John Milton. His tolerance of Protestant sects did not extend to Catholics. His measures against them in Ireland have been characterised by some as genocidal or near-genocidal, and his record is strongly criticised to this day in the land of the golden sunset.
but he is not alone in his infamy. He reared a son to equal or surpass the cruelty of his father. Henry Cromwell, 1628-1674, was the fourth son of Oliver Cromwell. Henry entered the New Model Army towards the close of the First Civil War and was in 1647 either a captain in Harrison's regiment or a commander at Fairfax's lifeguard. In February 1650, Henry had attained the rank of colonel and followed his father to Ireland with reinforcements. He and Lord Broghill defeated Lord Inchiquin near Limerick in April 1650. He later became an important figure in the parliamentarian regime in Ireland. He carried on the slaughter in his father's absence, continuing the edict so well remembered, to hell or to Connacht. But it is not for this alone that he is remembered, although that was so horrifying that it almost overshadowed Henry's infamous deeds. On every road towards Connacht, the sorrowing cavalcade trudged wearily, foot-sore and faint, as the brutal soldiers herded them like cattle. Meanwhile, however, other groups were steered towards the seaports in a sad procession to embark for exile and to be sold into slavery and transported to the tobacco and sugar cane plantations of the West Indies. Sir William Petty, 1623-1687, was an English economist, physician, scientist and philosopher. He first became prominent serving Oliver Cromwell and the Commonwealth in Ireland. He developed efficient methods to survey the land that was to be confiscated and given to Cromwell's soldiers. He also remained a significant figure under King Charles II and King James II, as did many others who served Cromwell. Petty was knighted in 1661 by Charles II and returned to Ireland in 1666, where he remained for most of the next 20 years. The events that took him from Oxford to Ireland marked a shift from medicine and the physical sciences to the social sciences, and Petty lost all his Oxford offices. The social sciences became the area that he studied for the rest of his life. His primary interest became Ireland's prosperity, and his works described this country and proposed many remedies for its then backward condition. He helped found the Dublin Society in 1682, returning ultimately to London in 1685, where he died in 1687. Petty unashamedly confesses that 6,000 young Irish boys and girls were thus transported, but the total number of Irish sent into slavery were later estimated at 100,000. Brute force was used to round them up and collect them, Resistance was impossible, as bands of soldiers went about, tearing them from the grip of their shrieking mothers. Children from the tender age of 10 and 12 years were rounded up and dispatched to the nearest port and deported to Barbados. Henry Cromwell was most active in this type of kidnapping of innocent Irish children. Documentary proof also exists in a letter written to Secretary Thurlow. I think it might be of like advantage to your affairs there and ours here if you should think to send 1,500 or 2,000 young boys of 12 or 14 years to the West Indies. Secretary Thurlow replies, 
the committee of council have voted 1,000 girls and as many youths to be taken up for that purpose. John Thurlow, 1616-1668, of Great Milton in Oxfordshire and of Lincoln's Inn, was a secretary to the Council of State in Protectorate England and spymaster for Oliver Cromwell. Thurlow Square, Thurlow Street and Thurlow Place in South Kensington, London are all named after him. They were built in the 1820s on land he once owned. John Thurlow died on the 21st of February 1668 in his chambers in Lincoln's Inn and was buried in the chapel there. About 40 years after his death, a false ceiling was found in his rooms at Lincoln's Inn. The space was full of letters seized during his occupation of the office of Postmaster General, a position he held in 1655. The general crisis is a term used by some historians to describe the period of widespread global conflict and instability that occurred from the early 17th century to the early 18th century in Europe. More wars took place around the world in the mid-17th century than in almost any other period of recorded history. The crisis spread far beyond Europe. For example, Ming China, the most populous state in the world, collapsed. The middle years of the 17th century in Western Europe saw a widespread breakdown in politics, economics and society, caused by a complex series of demographic, religious, economic and political problems. The various events such as the English Civil War, the Fronde in France, the climax of the Thirty Years' War in the Holy Roman Empire, and revolts against the Spanish crown in Portugal, Naples and Catalonia, were all manifestations of the same problem, causing conflict between court and country, and reductions in population. Great Britain, for instance, had rebellions in every part of the monarchy. England, Scotland, Ireland and America. Apart from the wars, another factor for the demographic decline in Europe was the spate of climatic events that dramatically affected the food supply and caused major crop failure in the marginal farmland of Europe. During this period, there were large spates of volcano eruptions which acted to drop temperatures enough to cause crop failures in Europe. Crop failures were met with a wave of urban migration that created unsustainable urban populations. Against this backdrop, in 1662, William Petty, who I have previously mentioned, set up the first model of classical reproduction, saying, I say that when this man hath subducted his seed out of the proceeds of his harvest, and also what himself hath both eaten and given to others in exchange for clothes and other natural necessaries, that the remainder of corn is the natural and true rent of the land for that year. Petty made a fortune for himself while surveying the lands of Ireland for Cromwell, and is well known for what was called the Down Survey. He ended up with vast lands of his own across Ireland, much of it around Kenmare, County Kerry, and while serving on the commission to distribute the lands amongst veterans of Cromwell's army, Petty sealed numerous personal deals with soldiers who preferred to be bought out 
rather than wait to take possession of their land. During all this turmoil, Henry Cromwell was doing his worst deeds, and it is hard for us to imagine the horror of those children, just old enough to feel all the pain of separation, of such ruthless and eternal severance from their loving mothers and fathers, family and friends, arriving by ship to a strange island where most perished from the lash of the tyrant plantation owner's whip. At this time of extirpation of the Catholic Irish, a parliamentary commission in Dublin published a proclamation and other edicts by which any Catholic priest found in Ireland after twenty days was guilty of high treason and liable to be hanged, drawn and quartered, and anyone hiding such persons would be put to death with the loss of all his goods and chattels. Any person knowing where a priest was hiding and not telling the authorities might be publicly whipped and further punished with the amputation of that person's ears. Any person absent from the new church service on Sunday was liable to a fine and magistrates were empowered to take the children of Catholics and send them to England for education, where they would, at the age of 21 years, be forced to take the oath of abjuration, pledging to support the current British monarch. If they refused, they were liable to be imprisoned and the forfeiture of two-thirds of their estates. The price of five pounds was paid to bounty hunters for the head of a priest. Those poor hunted priests braved the danger to bring comfort to their scattered flock. Some resided in caves and in the mountains, and only ventured out at night to carry the last rites and consultation of religion to the oppressed and suffering Irish Catholics. Perhaps the most notorious priest hunter was John O'Malowney from Ballyhane, County Mayo, an alcoholic horse thief who took up the profession in return for a pardon from the hangman's noose. He was eventually killed by a priest he was pursuing, and his body was thrown in a lake, before later being recovered and buried. The priest hunter Edmund Ludlow relates in his memoirs how, when marching from Dublin to Castle Blaney, at the end of the year 1652, he discovered a few Irish in a cave and he and his party of soldiers spent two days trying to smoke them out. After the first day, when his troops tried to enter, a musket shot was fired at them from within, and one of his leading troopers fell dead. Ludlow now ordered all the crevices and cracks in the cave to be closed, and began the smoking-out process again. This time the soldiers entered protected with helmets and breastplates, and killed 15 people hiding there, including a priest. Edmund Ludlow, 1617-1692, was an English parliamentarian, best known for his involvement in the execution of Charles I, and for his memoirs, which were published posthumously in a rewritten form, and which have become a major source for historians 
of the Wars of the Three Kingdoms. Ludlow was elected a member of the Long Parliament and served in the parliamentary armies during the English Civil Wars. After Oliver Cromwell returned from Ireland in June 1650, he appointed Ludlow as Lieutenant General of Horse and second in command to Henry Ireton in the Parliament's campaign here. He landed in Ireland in January 1651 and was involved in the Siege of Limerick. After Ireton's death on the 26th of November 1651, Ludlow held the chief command and had practically completed the conquest of Ireland when he resigned his authority to Fleetwood in October 1652. Most of his campaigning in Ireland was against Irish guerrillas, and much of his operations consisted of hunting small bands and destroying foodstuff and crops. Ludlow is remembered for what he said of the Burren in County Clare during counter-guerrilla operations there in 1651 to 1652. It is a country where there is not enough water to drown a man, wood enough to hang one, nor earth enough to bury him. After the establishment of the Commonwealth in 1649, he was made second in command of Parliament's forces in Ireland, before breaking with Oliver Cromwell over the establishment of the Protectorate. After the restoration of Charles II, Ludlow went into exile in Switzerland, where he spent much of the rest of his life recruiting agents from the King of Spain, the King of Poland, and the Prince de Conde were now contending for the services of Irish troops. Don Ricardo White, in May 1652, shipped 7,000 men in batches from Waterford, Kinsale, Galway, Limerick, and Bantry for the King of Spain. Colonel Christopher Mayo got liberty in September 1652 to raise 3,000 for the same king. Other envoys and contractors were active in the recruitment and transport of Irish soldiers to Spain, such as Don Diego de la Torre, envoy extraordinary of the Spanish king to the Kilkenny Confederation in 1646. Dermot O'Sullivan son of Donal O'Sullivan Bear, the White Brothers, Colonels Christopher Mayo and Christopher O'Brien, who commanded the troops they raised, among others. Stradling mentions that 4,000 men arrived in Spain directly from Ireland in the 1640s, and that 2,500 of them were still on duty in 1650, when they made up 5% of the Habsburg army in the peninsula. 2,000 soldiers recruited by Mayo reached Gipuzkoa in 1652, and 500 landed in Cadiz soon afterwards. In the last week of the year, 4,000 additional troops arrived in San Sebastian and Pasajes in a dozen ships. 3,000 of them formed the core of the Bordeaux expedition in 1653. In June of that year, because of desertions and the fear of the plague then raging in some areas of Ireland, the King of Spain resolved that the persons engaging in making levies should cease forthwith, and that the asientos or contracts most recently concluded should not be proceeded with. At this time, there were still five outstanding contracts for 16,000 men.
the moratorium could not be implemented. And in the years 1653 to 1654, following the final collapse of the Irish Rebellion, 12,000 more Irishmen reached northern Spain. Madrid could do little to stop them and accepted them in its armed forces. More followed and the flow only stopped in 1655. Few Irish soldiers arrived in the peninsula except as individuals after that date, but military emigration to the army of Flanders continued, albeit in much smaller numbers. Viscount Musgrave took 5,000 to the King of Poland in July 1654, 3,500 commanded by Colonel Edmund Dreyer went to serve the Prince de Conde. Louis II de Bourbon, Prince de Conde, 1621-1686, by name the Great Conde, for his military exploits, was a French general and the most illustrious representative of the Conde branch of the House of Bourbon. He was one of Louis XIV's most preeminent generals and is regarded as one of the greatest military commanders of the early modern period. Prior to his father's death in 1646, he was styled Duke of Enhain. Conde is particularly notorious for his triumphs in the Thirty Year War, notably at Rockroy, and for his campaigns against the Grand Alliance in the Franco-Dutch War, and for having been the leader of the last of the series of aristocratic uprisings in France. Donoch McCarthy, first Viscount Muskery, 1594-1655, commanded the Confederate's Munster Army and fought the Parliamentarians during the Cromwellian conquest of Ireland. Musgrave fought to the bitter end and surrendered Ross Castle near Killarney to Edmund Ludlow on the 27th of June 1652, disbanding his 5,000-strong army. His son Charles was with him in Ross Castle and was given to Ludlow as hostage to guarantee his father's compliance with the terms of his surrender. Later, Charles McCarthy, 2nd Viscount Muskery, 1633-1665, was heir apparent to Tannock McCarthy, 1st Earl of Clancarty, but was killed at the age of 31 in the Battle of Lostoft, a sea battle against the Dutch, who attacked an English fleet commanded by James, Duke of York, 40 miles east of the port of Lostoft in Suffolk. Charles never succeeded in the earldom. Sir William Dungan and others had liberty to beat their drums in different garrisons to rally the men that laid down arms and march these troops to different ports where they departed for Portugal. Irish soldiers were also active in the Portuguese war, but in smaller numbers. In 1644, a regiment of non-Spanish troops, including Irishmen, fought in the Battle of Montijo. 600 Irish troops took part in the offensive in 1653 in the Tercius, commanded by William Dungan and Bernard Patrick. The latter was killed at the Battle of Olivenza. The title Earl of Limerick was created for the first time in 1686 for Sir William Dungan, with remainder, failing male issue of his own, to his brothers Robert, Michael and Thomas, and their heirs, male, of their bodies. 
He was made Viscount Dungan of Clane in the county of Kildare at the same time. His only son, Walter Dungan, was killed at the Battle of the Boyne, and Lord Limerick was succeeded, according to the special remainders, by his brother Thomas Dungan, the second Earl. He was Governor of New York from 1683 to 1688. All three titles became extinct on his death in 1715. In Prendergast's Cromwellian Settlement of Ireland, he writes, Between 1651 and 1654, there were 34,000 forced emigrants, of whom few ever saw their native Ireland again while the roads to Connacht were crowded with a constant stream of forced marched prisoners, plodding wearily to their unfortunate destiny, a singular scene was taking place in London. At an office appointed by the government, a lottery was held, whereat the farms, houses and estates from which the Irish owners had been evicted were being drawn by or on behalf of the officers and soldiers of the English army and the petty shopkeepers of London, and others who had lent money for the war on the Irish. The mode of conducting the lottery was by public ordinance. Not infrequently, a vulgar and illiterate trooper drew the mansion and estate of an Irish nobleman, who later was glad to accept permission to inhabit, for a few weeks, his own stable or cowshed, with his wife and children, pending their unwelcome, awful journey to Connacht. The plundered and suffering Irish despised the Cromwellian brood, as they were called, never regarding them as more than vulgar and violent usurpers of other men's estates. The Cromwellians, on the other hand, feared and hated the natives, whose desires of hostility they well knew. The Cromwellian landlords were taught to consider themselves as a foreign garrison, endowed to watch and keep down the native workers. Alien in race, language and religion, they had not one tie in common with the subject population. So both classes grew up hating each other until the final reckoning should someday, somehow, present itself in the land of the golden sunset. As mentioned previously, Edmund Ludlow, in October 1652, had resigned his authority in Ireland to Charles Fleetwood. Charles Fleetwood, 1618-1692, was an English soldier and politician. In 1652, he married Cromwell's daughter, Bridget, widow of Henry Ireton, and became commander-in-chief of the English government forces in Ireland and later was appointed Lord Deputy of Ireland from 1652 to 1655, where after Edmund Ludlow, he enforced the Cromwellian settlement. Appointed Cromwell's Lieutenant General for the Third English Civil War, Fleetwood was thereafter one of his most loyal supporters throughout the Protectorate. Together with his colleague John Lambert, he dominated government in England for a little over a year, and the Committee of Safety, led by Fleetwood and Lambert, was left in charge as absolute rulers of the Commonwealth, before being outfoxed by George Monk. 
Several English generals, led by George Monk, had decided that the only way to stabilise England was to restore the monarchy. Monk accordingly led his troops, which had been garrisoned in Scotland, to march on London. On George Monk's approach from the north, Fleetwood stayed in London and maintained order, while deciding on which party to ally his forces with. And while on the point of making terms with King Charles II, Monk's army restored the rump parliament on the 24th of December 1659, whereupon Fleetwood was deprived of his command and ordered to appear before Parliament to answer for his conduct. At the restoration of the monarchy, he was included in the act of indemnity and was barred from holding any office of trust, and so his political career ended. Fleetwood died on the 4th of October 1692. His friend, John Lambert, was appointed by English Parliament as Lord Deputy of Ireland in 1652, but on account of some curtailment of powers, he relinquished the appointment and had never served in Ireland. However, he had written The Instrument of Government, one of only two codified constitutions ever adopted in Britain, and was influential in bringing about the Protectorate. Lambert was imprisoned in the Tower of London in March 1660, he made one final attempt to resist the restoration of 1660 after escaping, but his support had dwindled. He was recaptured and spent the remaining 24 years of his life imprisoned, first in Guernsey and then on Drake's Island, where he died in the winter of 1683. George Monk, 1st Duke of Albemarle, 1608-1670, served in the English Parliamentary Army and in Oliver Cromwell's regime. He was distinguished both as a general, naval commander and civil administrator under Cromwell. He was a major general in the army sent by English Parliament against Irish rebels. He made little headway against the Irish led by Onru O'Neill and concluded an armistice, then called a convention, with the rebel leaders upon terms which he knew the Parliament would not ratify. But on Oliver Cromwell's death, Monk realised that it was either Charles II on the throne or chaos. After the restoration of the monarchy in 1660, his services were rewarded with the title of Duke of Albemarle and a large pension. In 1663, Monk was named one of the eight Lords Proprietors given title to a huge tract of land in North America, which became the province of Carolina, the present-day American states of North and South Carolina. Albemarle Sound in North Carolina is named after him. He died on the 3rd of January 1670 and is buried in Westminster Abbey. His titles were inherited by his only son, Christopher Monk, 2nd Duke of Albemarle, upon whose death in 1688, they became extinct. Ludlow, Fleetwood, Lambert and Monk were all as responsible as Oliver Cromwell for the removal of sovereign rule in England and the terrible regime that inflicted such tyranny and cruelty in the land of the golden sunset. Although Monk later played a part in the restoration of Charles II, 
1660. Henry Ireton, 1611-1651, was another English general in the Parliamentary Army during the English Civil War. He was the son-in-law of Oliver Cromwell, and he played a major role in the Cromwellian regime in Ireland. Ireton's regiment was chosen to accompany Cromwell on his Irish campaign. Ireton arrived in Dublin two days after Cromwell on the 17th of August 1649. With 77 ships full of troops and supplies, Ireton was appointed Major General and after the conquest of the South of Ireland, Lord President of Munster. When Cromwell was recalled to England, Ireton assumed command of the new model army in Ireland with the title and powers of Lord Deputy of Ireland to complete the conquest of the country. This he proceeded to do, becoming noted as much by the savagery of his methods as by his military skill. By the middle of 1650, Ireton and his commanders faced two problems. One was the capture of the remaining cities held by the Irish Confederate and Royalist forces. The other was the escalating guerrilla war in the countryside as Irish rebels attacked his supply lines. Ireton appealed to the English Parliament to publish lenient surrender terms for Irish Catholics in order to end their resistance, but this was refused. His first action after the refusal was to mount a counter-guerrilla expedition into Wicklow Mountains early in June 1650 to secure his lines of supply for the Siege of Waterford. Ireton then blockaded Waterford into surrender by August 1650. He systematically constructed trenches to bring his siege guns within range of the walls and stationed a naval fleet off the city to prevent it being supplied. Thomas Preston surrendered Waterford after a three-month siege, and Ireton then advanced to Limerick by October, but had to call off the siege due to cold and bad weather. Early in 1651, Ireton ordered that areas harbouring the guerrillas should be systematically stripped of food, a scorched-earth policy that caused a famine in Ireland by the end of the year. Ireton returned to Limerick in June 1651, and besieged the city for five months, until it surrendered in October 1651. Ireton gave protection to the civilian population and their property. The Confederate troops were allowed to march to Galway, but they had to leave their arms behind, and later Cromwellian forces under Charles Coote conducted the siege of Galway. After the capture of Limerick, Ireton had several dignitaries of Limerick hanged for their defence of the city, including Alderman Thomas Stritch, Bishop Terence Albert O'Brien, and an English Royalist officer, Colonel Fennell. He also wanted the Irish commander, Hugh Dove O'Neill, hanged, but Edmund Ludlow cancelled the order after Ireton's death, and O'Neill was sent as a prisoner to London. Former Mayor Dominic Fanning was drawn, quartered, and decapitated with his head mounted over St. John's Gate in Limerick. Over 2,000 Cromwellian soldiers died, many from disease, as did 700 Confederates and possibly around 4,000 civilians. Ireton fell ill of the plague that was raging throughout the city 
and died on the 26th of November, 1651. There are various anecdotes about his demise from Irish ecclesiastical and English royalist sources. Thus, his death has been depicted as divine punishment for the execution of Bishop O'Brien, who, prior to his death, had called upon Ireton to answer at God's judgment seat for his murders. Hugh Dove O'Neill, 5th Earl of Tyrone, 1611-1660, was a member of the O'Neill dynasty, the leaders of which left Ireland in the flight of the earls in 1607. Hugh Dove's father, Art Ogo O'Neill, was among those exiles who made careers for themselves in the Spanish army of Flanders. Hugh Dove was, as a result, born in Brussels in 1611 and grew up in the Irish military community there, becoming a professional soldier and serving in the Irish regiment of the Spanish army in Flanders during the Eight Years' War. In 1642, his uncle, Owen Roe O'Neill, organised the return of 300 Irish officers in the Spanish service to Ireland to support the Irish Rebellion of 1641. O'Neill's men became the nucleus of the Ulster Army of Confederate Ireland. Hugh Dove was captured early in the war by Scottish Covenanteer enemies, but was exchanged back to his own side after the Confederate victory at the Battle of Benburb in 1646. He subsequently rose to prominence after the death of his uncle, Owen Rowe O'Neill, in 1649. Hugh Dove's imprisonment in England after the Siege of Limerick was cut short by the intervention of the Spanish ambassador to England, who argued that Hugh Dove was a Spanish subject. Hugh was subsequently released into Spanish custody on condition that he would not serve in campaigns against English forces. He was posted to Spain, where he became a general of artillery, helping to suppress a rebellion in Catalonia. He became the Spanish-recognised 5th Earl of Tyrone upon the death of his first cousin, Hugh Owen O'Neill, in around 1660, after the English restoration of Charles II. Hugh Dove wrote to the king and asked for his family's ancestral lands to be restored and that he be made the English Earl of Tyrone. However, Charles II did not grant the request and Hugh Dove died of disease later that year. Mm-hmm.